Welcome to Already Enough with Kelly Backert. This program is about realizing that you are already enough and nothing outside of yourself can fix you because you aren't broken. This program will help give you the tools to let go of old ideas about life and step into a new way of living. You will hear from experts, be given helpful tools and tips, and much more. Now here's your host, Kelly Backert. Hi, everyone. I'm personal trainer and health coach, Kelly Backert. Welcome to my show, Already Enough. So I feel like I've been doing this for a while now, and all my previous shows, like especially the last few weeks, we've been discussing things like limiting beliefs, mindfulness, fear, being enough, right? The main theme of my show, being enough. But recently I did a post, it was a social media, it was a Facebook post about having fun. I actually think what I did was I presented this idea of what if we added more fun into our goals and life, just really in life in general. So I was even talking about a little bit, even in the midst of some pretty difficult obstacles, like even in the face of fear and uncertainty, if maybe we could just start to measure our success a little bit differently, like maybe we could measure our success by how much fun we're having. And I think that we can even do that when we're tired and exhausted, if we can try, maybe just try to perceive our life in a, maybe like a more fun way, like doing things in our life that are fun and and creative. I think if you can create that energy of joyfulness, I think you can manifest and create the things you want more easily. I know that's been the case for me. I always thought I had to like strive and thrive and be in this like state of, you know, anxiety and pushing and controlling. And then when I eased up on that and I decided to make that conscious effort to just invite more fun into my everyday, I think I started vibrating at a different a different level and I was started to attract more of the good things that I wanted and manifesting all of the things that I wanted. So like that joyfulness and that fun just became, I just think it's more attractive. I mean, I think we've probably all walked into rooms where the energy is really dark, the energy is very low, people might be upset or angry, and I think sometimes it feels like something we're all more comfortable in. Sometimes we're all like a little bit more comfortable in that state of fear and disappointment, especially I think when we're going through difficult times, because I think being in that state of being afraid and feeling good is like when we, if we allow ourselves to feel good, like when's the next ball going to drop? Right. So when's the next thing going to happen? I don't want to let myself get into a state of feeling good when I know something's right around the corner. Right. So it's like we don't allow ourselves to feel good or have fun. And I feel like especially as the new year is coming up very quickly, which is crazy to me, by the way. I just can't believe it. I'm like, what's the date? It's crazy. But anyway, so I feel like as it's coming up, I feel like it's when the resolutions come, right? And all the people ask, we all ask ourselves the questions like, where do I want to get to? What do I want to accomplish in the new year? Instead of maybe, maybe we could kind of switch that question. And I've been doing that the last couple of years. And so instead of asking that question, I ask something like, how do I want to feel? So when you change that question, I think, I mean, at least I believe in the middle, even of a difficult time, everything shifts. Because your level of attracting those things and getting really creative about having fun shifts as well. So anyway, um, on the show today, I 
have brought in an expert on creating fun, (laughs) which is very exciting. I would like to introduce all of you to the president and founder of Making Cancer Fun, Tara Garrity. I'm I'm going to say that right. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. I am so excited. I'm so inspired just by listening to you for the last few minutes. <laughs> I Say your last name for me one more time. Sure. It's Garrity. Perfect. Okay. So I did sort of not mess up. You got it right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Tara, I would just love to hear, because I'm sure that it's shocking to a lot of people listening, when... I mean, I remember when I first like talked to you on the phone and like we were kind of made into some like introductions when you hear that like making cancer fun, sometimes people are a little Mm -hmm. taken back by it. They're like, what is this lady talking about? So maybe you could just tell us and share with us, um, if you would, your story and how that all came about. Sure. Yeah. And it is right. It's such an odd idea that you can have fun and cancer in the same sentence that it makes us kind of do a double take. Um, and so my, the reason it became that is my daughter is 13 now, but she was three and a half when she was diagnosed with a high, it was high risk stage four neuroblastoma, which is specifically a childhood cancer. It's a kind of a really aggressive, sticky tumor that hides and sticks inside the, all the organs and it has a very low uh, survival rate when it comes into the childhood cancer world. And when she was diagnosed, I was already kind of in this chaotic, horrific place in my life. I was going through a domestic violence divorce. My life was already kind of turned upside down from that. I was dealing with, you know, restraining orders and police and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then in the midst of that, I find myself in an emergency room being told my daughter is basically dying in the emergency Mm -hmm. room. Her, Her lungs had collapsed and were filling with fluid and that she had stage four cancer. So, I mean, talk about just, you know, you think yeah. already the carpet has been ripped out and you're like, oh, no, apparently not. Like, there's No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was this. And, and I think every family, you know, regardless if it's a child or a person, you get kind of a life-changing diagnosis and we all experience that, that grief and that shock differently. And mm-hmm. I just remember feeling so out of control. You know, I could not control the treatment they were going to give her, particularly at that point. It was a, a literal life or death situation. So it wasn't even like, go get a second opinion or look for a little doc, you know, a different doctor. Or yeah. What do we want to do? It was, hey, let's see if we can save this kid's life. So there was no control there. It wasn't mm-hmm. my cancer. I couldn't control how she was going to respond to the treatment or her mindset or anything, right? And so mm-hmm. I had had years in kind of the personal development world had a decade experience working with coaching people and businesses and mindset and, and uh, things like, you know, you talk about, you know, manifestation mm-hmm. and, and positive attitude and everything. And so I knew that what you focus on gets bigger mm-hmm. and I knew that everything was falling around behind, you know, around me and that the only thing I could can do was I couldn't change that we were going to have to walk through this, you know, fire of cancer, but I could change how I chose to face that. And I, mm-hmm. I don't even know why people ask me all the time, why did you choose fun? And I think it was just kind of a secondary, it's it, just my personality. It felt like that was something that I could control. And she was three and a half. You know, what else yeah. do you do with a kid that little? You know, so I was like, all right, we're going to just make this so fun. We're going to be silly. Everything was described silly. We threw 
parties. We wore costumes. I mean, it was over the top. And, and my background actually is in theater. So my first job oh, was okay. in the childhood in theater company. So maybe that played <laughs> into it a little bit. Um, yeah. I was like, we're going to just make this super fun and silly. And uh, we would have to go every week for a CAT scan. So she was getting x-rays every day and then once a week going down and getting a CAT scan. So we became pretty well you know, familiar with the, the radiation department at the major children's hospital we were at. And it was the head of the radiation department one day. He said to us after a few weeks, he said, you know, boy, Tara, he said, I have never seen anyone make cancer as much fun as you two. And I said to him, well, I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and it just stuck, this idea that you could make cancer fun. And, um, you know, so talk now to us about like a couple of things that you would do, like when she was yeah. getting the radiation or what. What were like? What are some specific things that you guys did to, I guess, make this make it fun, terrible time yeah. like fun? So I think that the first thing was I described everything in really silly ways. You know, my daughter at three and a half, kids love gross stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, she had to get a breathing treatment multiple times during the day, where they put this mask on the face and the kids have to breathe, and she would scream every time they would put the mask on her face. And I remember saying to the, the um, respiratory tech, I said, well, what do you do if you, know, you can't get them to stop screaming? <laughs> yeah. and, and they said to me, oh, well, we just let them scream. If anything, it opens up their lungs more. Oh. And yeah. I just was horrified, right? I was like, oh, no, you are not coming in here three times a day and traumatizing my child. And so I thought, okay, how do we make this fun? So I had them give me a mask. That wasn't hooked up to anything, right? Mm-hmm. And I decided we were going to make it a game to see who could blow in this mask harder. And, uh, you know, there was no real game. There was no real right. stage or anything like that. But it was just like, okay, Em, I'm going to beat you. And kids love to beat their parents, right? Oh, so it yeah. would be like, I'm going to put mine on. And then it would be very dramatic over the fact that I could never win. I would try so hard. <laughs> <laughs> she would always win and she would do exactly what you're doing. She would start laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they said to me after a little bit, they said, you know, we've never had a three-year-old be able to do her own breathing treatments. And I said, well, that's because we're making it silly and fun yes. and not scary. Um, when we were there for 50 days, we checked into the emergency room right before Thanksgiving and we stayed all through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. We were there for, we ended up being there 78 days straight before we checked out for the first time wow. and then most of her treatment was an inpatient. But on the 50th day, we threw a big party. And uh, mm-hmm. I went to the party store and I got all 50th birthday decorations. But we made it <laughs> that we were at the hospital for 50 days. And yeah. we handed out pardon favors. And I had this, she had a button. It was for, you know, 50th birthday, but you would press it and it would say, oh no, the big five zero. thought it was super silly to press the button. We did puppets. We had moose puppets. Um, I was recently talking to somebody sounds absolutely disgusting. But again, kids love gross stuff, right? And they oh, love yes. to gross their parents out. And she had, it was horrific. It was called cyclical vomiting, where you actually throw up every 15 minutes. Um, and it was just, it was, it was just horrible. And she could not stop throwing up. And so we made a chart and we called it the puke chart. And every time we would, she would puke, we'd look through the bucket and be like, what do you think you puked up? And we would give it silly names like pickle yeah. puke or whatever. And I remember the nurses being like, Lady, this is the most disgusting thing. <laughs> what are you <laughs> but who doing? cares? Because you were trying, I mean, right. yes, right. you were changing it. That it's, you know, kids live in a world of imagination. 
kids live in a world where everything's fun and silly and when you can describe things and anything that they can beat their parents in or gross their parents out. I mean, she actually, you know, she would uh, eventually, they had a, she had had multiple surgeries and she ended up helping them take her chest tube out, which is the grossest thing in the entire world. But she mm-hmm. thought it was awesome because I was so grossed out. So yes. it, it became like, how can I gross my mom out? And now the focus is on being silly and grossing my mom out and not being afraid. Um, we had now our, probably our most famous is we had a tumor stomping party. She had eight hours. It took eight hours to remove the tumor. Like I had a oh, okay. amazing surgeon. And I had the tumor, but surgeon took a picture of it and we blew it up into a poster and we shot it with marshmallows and we played oh, music cool. and we took pictures of it and, um, you know, ceremoniously cut it up. And, and I, for me, it was very much a, a mental thing. And I know Kelly, you'll appreciate this, but I was very much like, I wanted her to have this idea that the tumor was no longer in her and that she was beating cancer, that she was yes. stronger than her cancer, that it wasn't part of her, you know, in the childhood cancer community, there's this, um, there's this very common thing that people call them cancer kids. And that's always mm-hmm. struck me as very uncomfortable because it's like you're putting that veil of cancer over that child every time you say it. And, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter was not a cancer child, is not a cancer kid. She's a child who had cancer in her that was not part of her, mm-hmm. that was not supposed to be there. And um, she named her cancer. We named him stupid tumor, which, you know, when you're really <laughs> stupid, it's a bad word, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so it was this very, like, vendetta against her and stupid tumor. So when she wouldn't want to do things, I would actually say to her, I'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no, I hear tumor laughing. He thinks you're not strong enough. He says you can't do it. And she'd be like, mm-hmm. narrow her eyes. And do, so it became very much that it was, cancer was not part of her. So I'm, I was very big and very aware of like the energy in the room and the words that we used and how we talked about the cancer and that everything was very empowering. And I don't think that having fun and being positive cures cancer because there's many families I've met who had great attitudes and had lots of fun and, and lost their children. I mm-hmm. do think that if you sit around and cry all the time, and you're going to be negative and victimized and hopeless, you've already set yourself up to fail. Well, either way, you're either way, whether the ending isn't happy, right? You're Mm -hmm. choosing to decide how you're going to either live out the rest of your life or you're going to live out the last moments, right? You're choosing that. Yes. And that was a big thing. I mean, they had told me that my daughter had one of the, lower cure rates, but the chances of her surviving was, was low. And I remember thinking that, you know, if I only have a month or a few months left with my child, I am going to make them the most fun, positive that I can. I'm not going to sit here and have her cry and be miserable for three months. And that was a very conscious decision. Um, because you're right, mm-hmm. you know, you can't change the outcome, but what do you want that to be like? Absolutely. And that transfers to anything. That transfers to anything. You, it's, you get to always have a choice on how you're going to handle things, regardless of what's happening to you around you. You can choose the perception. You can choose to use laughter. You can choose to use fun. Or you can choose the fear of it, right? Like I was kind of talking about this idea of fear and discomfort and this place that a lot of us live in. When there's, especially when, and gosh, you had a lot of it, (laughs) when there's chaos going on around Mm -hmm. you and like you said, things that are out of control, you just chose these very creative and interesting ways to, to do it a different way. 
Well, and it's been interesting now, you know, now it's year late, years later and I've, I've kind of got into this building a company and writing a book and, and teaching people how to use fun as a coping tool. Basically, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's really whatever you're going through and how can you use fun, particularly in pediatrics, to help children cope with medical diagnoses and things like that. So now I've had to do more of the research and it's fascinating to me the studies that are out there about what happens to the body physically when the body is in a state of chronic fear versus mm-hmm. what happens to the body when you're laughing and having fun. And the science is there. I mean, the research is there. We're just not talking about it. You know, and I agree. This idea that it's like this, you know, kind of like, oh, new agey, you know, idea. And it's really not. It's, it's very much based on science. Chronic fear disrupts your immune system. It disrupts your nervous system. It can cause eating disorders, sleep disruption. I mean, it, when a body is in constant, constant fear, it's, from a physical health standpoint, it's absolutely devastating. So when you look at that and you say, okay, you have somebody who's going through a major medical crisis and they're living in a constant state of fear, it's like they're working against healing their body. And it's not that the yeah. fear isn't there. It's that we know, you know how the mind works and with neuroplasticity and everything that we can, our emotions are driven first by our thoughts, right? Great. And I so think um, that you can yeah. you know, have some more control. Tara, we have to ki- we have to take a quick commercial break. So we will come back on the other side of the break, and there's a bunch of other questions I have for you. So I'm super excited. So just hang tight. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Kelly Backer offers one-on-one life and health coaching and personal training by phone, over Skype, and in person. Visit corebootcamps.com to find out more about Kelly and these programs. No matter your age, gender, fitness level, or goals, Kelly and her team of certified trainers are here to ensure that you become the best version of you. They can even come to your home or work, and group weight loss programs and classes are also available. Find us on the web at corebootcamps.com. That's K-O-R-E bootcamps.com. If you're in Baltimore or Hartford County, Maryland, you can check out the Core Bootcamp Studio and take advantage of our fitness classes. Led by Kelly Backer and her team of fitness professionals, we offer on-site weight loss programs, challenges, and classes, including spin, sculpt, strength, yoga, and the popular full bootcamp. If you're a fitness beginner or at a top level, we already have a class that fits your style. For more information, visit corebootcamps.com or call us in Maryland at 443-640-5274. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Music. 
You are listening to Already Enough with Kelly Backer. To reach the show today, you may call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feel free to also send an email to kellysbootcamps at gmail.com. Let's get back to Already Enough. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I have the president and founder of Making Cancer Fun, Tara Garrity, here with us today. And we already are having a fun show. We've been talking a lot about creating fun in the midst, not only of her daughter's cancer, but in just kind of the midst of chaos, in the midst of when you're going through a difficult time in your life and how you can kind of change things around and and see the good in things and create more fun. And I think, um, Tara, I feel like one of the questions that I guess a lot of people will have, and I guess it's something that I thought about when you were talking earlier, is what about, so there's, I have like three questions, but I'll just start out with this one. What about the breaking down, like the feelings of, like, how did you do it, like, with your daughter when you and your daughter had those moments of just pure, raw anger and sadness in the middle of this? Like, you're allowing, like, allowing that to be authentic as you're having, as you're trying to invite more fun into it. Because people really push back on this idea. They're like, well, at some point, weren't you guys mad? And at some point, weren't you guys sad? And, like... I just think that's, you know what I mean? I'm I'm just kind of like hearing people say, like having a pushback on it. Like, weren't wasn't she angry ever? Wasn't her and her daughter sad ever? Like, what, like, so tell me a little bit like about how you handled those emotions. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember that cancer for a child means something very different than cancer as an adult. So I think my emotional roller coaster was very different than my daughter because at three and a half, certainly, you know, she wasn't a teenager. She had no concept of the, you know, that cancer can kill you, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I do think that's very important because sometimes we project our fears and our, Mm -hmm. um, our sadness and our grief onto somebody else that isn't having that experience. I think the hardest, the thing that for me was the most traumatizing that I, you know, will remember, um, is she had to have these, they're called NJ tubes, where basically they put a tube down your nose that bypasses your stomach and goes directly into your intestines. And it was because she was so sick that she couldn't have any food in her, couldn't keep any food in her stomach. And when they, um, they have to be placed while you're awake, and it's a painful procedure, and it was, it was horrific. And I know some parents wouldn't go in with their children for that procedure. Mm. I chose to. And again, I think mm-hmm. you need to make, there's no judgment. I think you need to do what's right for you. For me, I wanted to be with her. Um, and they would lay her on a table with an x-ray machine over her and like physically force this down her throat. And she would scream and cry and say like, mommy, make them stop. It's hurting me. And as a parent, all your, you know, you just want to protect your child. And I would be over her head and holding her down, like physically holding her down as they, you know, were. I say torture loosely, like obviously they were saving her life. Right, right. They were helping her, but in a very torturous way. um, Yeah, and I would tell the screaming, they're being like, mommy, make them stop, it hurts. And I used to just close my eyes and cry and just pray. And Mm -hmm. that was like all I could do is I would just, it was so horrible. And it was just, how do you get through this moment? But that as soon as it was over, it was like, all right, let's go do something that's super silly and fun. And so I think, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to just be in those horrific, horrific Mm -hmm. moments. Um, 
I think for me, it was really about compartmentalizing. And this was a skill that I had learned through my personal development and coaching skills. Um, it's kind of like thinking about your feelings like shoeboxes. Mm-hmm. And there are times that you need to get into that shoebox and feel that grief and that sadness. And then being able to put a lid on it, put it on the shelf and say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to deal with that right now. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I can go back there. It will be there. But being able to kind of turn that on and off. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a coping skill, right? You can't constantly be in that state of fear. The other thing I did for me was I focused on creating a gratitude journal because I understood, again, how the brain works, that whatever I was focusing on, I was going to get more of. And I mm-hmm. knew that I was in such a place that everything felt so horrible that I was like, I have to change. I have to change this. And the only way I knew how to change that was to refocus on, okay, what can I be grateful for? And that mm-hmm. practice is really what kind of developed everything. It was life-changing for me because particularly in the cancer world, you know, you can't be grateful for things that may happen two or three months from now. You're kind of living every 24 hours. Yes, that's what I was just going to say. So Tara, this is what I hear when I'm ta- when I'm listening to you and I'm just getting goosebumps this whole time. I hope people that are listening are too, is one of the things that we talk about often on this show and I try to do in my own life, sometimes in major failure, but is the whole time what I constantly, what you, the whole time you're talking, I keep thinking this, even in the bad, like when you were standing over there and you had to hold her down and even in the good, whatever it was, you were being present. You were being with, you were being present with whatever was presented to you. So it wasn't like you weren't trying to escape the bad part and you weren't necessarily, like, you know what I mean? Like you just stayed with her in the present. And like you said, you didn't hand her over your stuff. Like if you were like, like if you were feel like you said, it's very easy. Like you, like I talked about at the very beginning of the show, like we've all walked into those rooms, whether it was somebody, you, you know, like that it's very dark. It's the energy is very low. It's very angry. It's very sad, whatever that is. And you're like, whoa, like the energy of this room is like a little bit like, okay like I'm a very so that energy like you said it's it's now you have a child who doesn't authentically have that energy doesn't even understand most of the things that are going on doesn't understand death the way that we do doesn't understand uh, um most things the way that we do so their perception is so different so I think like you said it's important that we don't um really a child at any age, quite frankly, we don't give them our stuff to carry because it's not theirs. Uh Absolutely. And we are mirrors for our children. And I think we know this. Anybody who has a kid knows this. The day that you're stressed out and like, like, I have so much to do and I have to get this done. And why is the child just choosing today to act out, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's because they're picking up on your energy. That's why they're acting out. You know, children like, it's kind of like my, I always joke, like, it's kind of like kids are like animals, right? Animals are really intuitive to energy and kids are like that. They know, like they know when you're stressed out and then that stresses them out. And then all of a sudden they start acting out, even if they don't know why. And we are totally their mirror. So it's not that I didn't have those days of breaking down or crying. I just chose when I was going to do that. And I was very conscious to not do that around her. And I think there's a very fine line between you know, my, I'm a single parent. My daughter has seen me cry many times. And I've, I've heard people yeah. say, oh, you know, you should never cry in front of your children. 
I also think it's important for her to know that I'm a, I'm human and that crying and being yes. sad or being frustrated is a total normal emotion. And I'll say to her, you know, Emma, I'm just having a really sad day. I still do that. I'll say to her, I'm just having a sad day or I'm having a tough day and or I'm feeling frustrated because I want to be able to put a, a word onto what my feelings are. And then that helps her to be able to say, okay, well, when I'm feeling that, oh, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling frustrated and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not who I am. That's not a bad thing. It's just a feeling, you know, and that I won't feel Well, and not ignoring, like, I'm sure you do, you can't ignore, like, when something was, like, a procedure that was really painful for her. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, come on, that wasn't, you know, you're going to say, oh, I yes, I bet that was very painful, or yes, I know it was good. Like, you're acknowledging it, you're acknowledging, because she's in the present moment. Like you said, she's... You may know, like when the doctor's telling you beforehand, we're going to stick this tube down here. It's really going to be painful. We're going to have to lay her down. She's going to have this x-ray machine on. So you're an adult. You're conscious of exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly what it's going to, you don't know what it's going to feel like necessarily, but you know it's going to be painful. They told you it's going to be painful. So you know all this stuff. She doesn't. So you don't mm-hmm. need to hand her that before, but while she's, but you stayed with her in the, in you stayed with yourself. Although you may have been like, just, you know, all inside and closing your eyes and all that. But you you stayed there and you stayed in the present moment with whatever was being presented. And I think that that's important. Um, I just think that that's an, it's an important tool to have and just to be very, very authentic. Like you said, they feel your energy anyway. I don't think that you could have, if you were having a really sad day, let's be honest, she was going to know. Yeah, she was going to know because you can't show up non-authentic. She was going to be like, mom, what's wrong with you? And you could say, ah, nothing, I'm fine, you know, but she's going to know. I think for who we also chose, or at least I chose, that I would always be really honest with her. And I think that was Mm -hmm. important because there are times that, and even now, you know, she goes to, you know, follow up care and stuff. And there are times that, okay, and this is going to hurt. You know, and I will get as much information as I can, and this is what I think it's going to feel like. And you know, it's it's I'm not going to lie to you; it's not going to be a comfortable procedure. And that way, when I know it's not, I can say to her, "This is not something you need to worry about." I'm telling you, this is not going to hurt. And I I will tell her now. Um, I always say, "I say, you know, mommy always tells you the truth, right?" And she's like, "Yes." And I think that's yes. really important because if we always say, "Oh, it's going to be fine. That's not going to hurt. You're going to be great," they they're not going to trust us, and then everything becomes scary. Right. Yes. Um, That was really important to me. And I I would be careful with the words. I wouldn't say, I would say, yes, it's going to be really painful. I might say something like, "Um, I think this is going to be really uncomfortable. I think this is going to hurt. I think this is going to be, but I also think there's this idea that, and this keeps coming to my mind, Kelly, while you're talking that we can get through hard things. And Mm -hmm. so even with that nose tube, this is going to be hard, but we can get through this and we're going to get through this together. Yes. it, it's okay to have to go through hard things and you mm-hmm. are strong. And I would always yes. tell her that you are the strongest, bravest person. I know you can do hard things. And mm-hmm. even now I always tell her, you know, 13 is an interesting middle school. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and I always say to her, you know, I'm on your side. I think it's really yes. powerful for when we feel like people have our back and they're on our side. I feel that way as an adult, right? When I know I've yes. got, you know, these friends in my life, who they're always going to be on my side. Think about how that great that makes me feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're just going to be on my side. And I want her yes. to feel like there's somebody who's always on your side. I'm always on your side. I'm not always going to agree with you. I'm not always going to, you know, have that same opinion, but I'll always be on your side. And I'll always yes. be there to like, 
support you and I can't change. And I say to her now, you know, I can't change things for you. I can't, you know, keep you safe from everything. Like some things are going to be hard in life, but I'll always be there to hold your hand. I'll always be there to help you through it. You know, and that relationship that was created while we went through cancer together has, has developed now as a teenager of, hey, I don't always have everything right. I don't always know the right answers. And that's where you keep saying about being authentic and genuine. You know, she'll get angry at me and I'm like, hey, Em, I've never had a 13-year-old. I'm just trying to figure, this out. and you've never been 13. Yes. We're just trying to figure this out together. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're saying like as the adult, like I'll say to my kids, oftentimes we'll say, I don't know. <laughs> Mom yeah. doesn't know I'm the answer to that. Like, I don't know I the answer. To that. Yeah. But maybe we can use our intuition or we can have some faith and pray or whatever it is that you, you call upon. And, mm-hmm. and maybe we can, you know, or maybe we can like write some things down in journal or maybe we can, you know, there's so many opportunities to do different things. But another thing is I really, I really liked what you said about, because this can go into a lot of different things, is that with is this idea of being um, like that she knows that you're always going to tell her the truth. So my kids are the same way. So um, I'm divorced, and their their dad is very um, you did a great job, like just with sports and stuff. <laughs> everything everything they ever do is a great job, which is very lovely, right? In like a very well, you know, at least not a mean guy, right? So he's always telling them everything's great. But I remember this just happened like a couple months ago. It's, something happened at like my, I don't know if it was my daughter's soccer game or something. And she came in, she looked at me, I looked at her. I said, How do you think that went? She's like, That was not good. I was like, No, it really wasn't good. And she goes, Mom, she goes, I'm just thankful that I can all, it was just very, it was not like a very deep, it wasn't like this emotional moment. It was for me because I remember it. But like for her, it was just a, she was, mom, I'm always thankful that you'll tell, I know that you'll tell me the truth. And I remember thinking, yes, yes, I will. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm like thinking, but that was such a nice moment because I thought, yeah, you know what? Even in, it's, it's important. Like she wasn't, I wasn't going to fool her. She had a terrible game. Like she had a terrible game. She knew it. It wasn't like I was going to be like, no, 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 you did so great. She was going to be like, mom, why are you lying to me? Right? Why are you lying? Like, so I think, um, like we talked about, like, it doesn't really matter their age. They feel the energy. They know when somebody's being authentic with them. They, and, and often when, as they get older, like my daughter is a 15 now, she knows the truth. I mean, she knows the, the truth, both my son and daughter, and he's 13. So it's, they know now they're very, they, they know, you know, even just for little things like playing sports and something like that, they know. Well, and it sounds like it's, you're setting a, a precedent for the rest of their life that mm-hmm. as they have to make harder decisions or have more life consequence type things that you're going to be honest with them. And mm-hmm. I think about the people who are in my life and the ones that I value and respect the most are the ones that I know will always be honest with me, even if it's not what I want to hear. Yes. And so if I value that as an adult, I want my daughter to value that within me. And one of the best, the best advice I ever, ever got, I was pregnant with my daughter and it was at one of the baby showers they had for me. And this woman wrote me a card and she said, remember that you are the best parent for your child. Like God chose you to be your daughter's mom and I've always remembered that that um if there was a better parent for her she would have had a you know better parent but that I know my daughter the best and I need to trust my my gut and I need to trust my intuition 
that and not and not be concerned with other people's judgment. We live in a world where there's yes. so much judgment, particularly for moms and how they parent and how they choose to respond to their children or not, which is I think so inappropriate because every child is different, every parent child relationship is different. And mm-hmm. we need to honor the fact that what works for me and my daughter may not work for you and your daughter. And there is yeah, no like right I said, there's no wrong way. Right when you said that, so there's a book that I read a long time ago and it was very much along those lines. So what it says is, and I've said this to my kids before is I was perfectly designed to be your mom and you were perfectly designed to be my son or my daughter. We're perfectly designed for each other. And we were, yeah, we were perfectly designed. Right. So I always think, um, yeah. So like, Um, And this gets a little bit more like a little bit more spiritual, but I also would add something to that. Like you're you're actually, we're all actually, we're God. We were created by God. So you're, you're, you're God. God is your, but, and I was just given to you and you were given to me to just Mm -hmm. be on this planet and to take care of one another. Like there wasn't, so sometimes I think that that takes that makes them feel really good and it makes me feel really good. Like, yeah, you're right. We were, we're like, we're like, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just such a great feeling. Yeah. 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 But I and have I to take it. another break real quick, Tara, before we jump into another topic, but I have a couple of more questions for you. So on the other side of the break, we'll continue our, our conversation about this. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Kelly Backer offers one-on-one life and health coaching and personal training by phone, over Skype, and in person. Visit corebootcamps.com to find out more about Kelly and these programs. No matter your age, gender, fitness level, or goals, Kelly and her team of certified trainers are here to ensure that you become the best version of you. They can even come to your home or work, and group weight loss programs and classes are also available. Find us on the web at corebootcamps.com. That's K-O-R-E bootcamps.com. If you're in Baltimore or Hartford County, Maryland, you can check out the Core Bootcamp Studio and take advantage of our fitness classes. Led by Kelly Backer and her team of fitness professionals, we offer on-site weight loss programs, challenges, and classes, including spin, sculpt, strength, yoga, and the popular full bootcamp. If you're a fitness beginner or at a top level, we already have a class that fits your style. For more information, visit corebootcamps.com or call us in Maryland at 443-640-5274. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Already Enough with Kelly Backer. To reach the show today, you may call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Feel free to also send an email to Kelly's Bootcamps at gmail.com. Let's get back to Already Enough. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am here with president and founder of Making Cancer Fun, Tara Garrity. I'm super excited to have her on the show. We've been talking about all sorts of things. Tara, I wanted to talk about um, and get really kind of specific about during your time, really when you were when you were going through all this, the cancer with your daughter, but also when you're going through your divorce and in the domestic violence and all of that stuff. I wanted you to talk a little bit about during that time, how you went about like staying organized, setting limits for yourself, like self-care type of things during that time. Because I can't even imagine like you're in the midst of such extreme chaos. What, what did you find helped you? Like what, what would you like if you're talking to somebody else about it who just had went through a similar situation as you, how did you do that? Organize, setting limits, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I started writing, I started journaling and it came out of creating a grateful practice where I was every night listing the gratitude stuff. And then from that, it ended up more writing and blogging. And I was doing okay. it really, I think it was very therapeutic for me. Ironically, that's what ended up turning into my book because people started following and, and connecting and, and you know, resonating with what I was writing about. But it was a way for me to process everything that I was feeling. And so yeah. I think there's something very therapeutic when we're kind of writing and, and journaling. Um, and one of the blogs that I wrote was that, you know, when you have... The good thing is, is that when the carpet is ripped out from underneath you, everybody knows you're sitting on the floor. And there was oh. something so freeing about I no longer had to try to look like I had it together. I no longer had to try to look like I was, you know, succeeding in life. I was clearly <laughs> on the floor. Everybody knew it. And that was okay. And there was this immense sense of relief that came with that. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if that really falls into a self-care, but it was this acceptance of, you know what, my life is just a mess right now. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to sit in the mess and get through this. And that is, yes. you know, my mother would always say to me, she's like, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. Everything changes. Nothing yes. ever stays the same. And sometimes we're in seasons where it's just, you're in a survival mode and you have to just be okay with that. And I also think that I really learned how to be okay with people helping me because I was one of those mm, people yes. that said, hey, can I help you? I'd be like, no, no, I've got this. I'm good. Like, yes. I'm a woman. I didn't need anybody to help me because I felt, I felt bad if I said, hey, yes, I need help. <laughs> I felt like I was putting somebody else out or that they really didn't want to help. They were just saying that. And when people yes. started saying to me, you know, what can we do? What can I, I distinctly remember I had one girlfriend. She said, what, what do you need? I'll bring you whatever you need to the hospital. And I said to her, I need tweezers and socks. I just want yeah. like, nice socks. And my <laughs> face looks like I really need some tweezers. <laughs> and what somebody had shared with me is, you know, think about how great you feel when you do something for somebody, right? You feel good that you were mm-hmm. able to help them. And when Mm -hmm. we constantly tell people we don't need help and we don't allow them to help us, we don't give them that opportunity to feel good. So we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting them. And I think when I started to think of it that way, I was like, you know what? There are people who really do want to help. People were so incredibly generous. I mean, I had, uh, I had people bringing us food at the hospital, which if you know anybody who's in the hospital and you're like, what should I get them? 
bring them food, food or get them a voucher <laughs> for the hospital. Because what most people don't realize is that my daughter's food was paid for, but my food wasn't. So yeah. imagine eating three meals a day plus snacks for, I mean, we spent, I was about $2,000 just in the first admission, just on food. Yeah. And you don't realize the cost of, of, you know, constantly having to eat in a hospital cafeteria. And so we had people arranging meals like almost every single night. I, I remember somebody brought me, um, Wilma Dewis, she brought me a homemade Christmas dinner for Christmas in the hospital. I mean, things oh, like that wow. you never forget. And people so wanted to be generous. They wanted to help and getting to a point to say, you know, yes, this is what I need. So I think it's important like, when you're talking about like, how to set boundaries and limits and stuff is one is that um, you decide ahead of time like what really would be helpful for you so that when people say, hey, how can I help? You're not on the spot thinking about it. You're kind of like, right. oh, you got this little list of like, this is what I need. And it could be something as simple as like, you know what, it, next time you go to the grocery store, can you pick up groceries for me that will save me a trip from having to go? You know, yes. or, you know, can you help me with some childcare? Like it doesn't need to be something that's huge off-putting for somebody else, but they're not there. Most people, when they're asking, they really do want to help. And if you know, well, what I you find need, it interesting. Well, I find it interesting. First of all, it sounds like you did a great job of staying again, back to this. I, I don't know why every time you're talking, all I'm hearing is that you were able to kind of just accept and stay in the present moment, which was awesome. But another thing that recently um, I had a friend whose husband um, passed away, I guess it's been a little over a year now, but he passed away and everyone was saying, and I got the weird, I, I felt so weird about this stuff. Like, Oh, look at her. She's, isn't she doing great? She's holding it all together. Isn't she doing great? And I remember thinking, um, why are we calling that great? Like, like I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and, I mean, whatever. She Maybe she that's authentically how she felt and, and that's super. But my point is, is that you, you said it in the beginning. I think it's difficult, especially as women. We tend to not want to ask for help or accept help because we want to yeah. be stoic, right? Stoic and, and very like, we have this, we, I can do this. Um, I can take care of this. I'm okay. Like, you know what I mean? And especially in the midst of like chaos and when things are really dropping us. Cause I remember feeling that from her, like her, my, um, my friend, when she lost her husband, like this energy of like, I got it. And it was this very gripping energy, like this very, like holding on to it tight. And I think after a bit, after some months passed, she did end up like, she ended up asking for some help and some other things happened. But what I heard from you is, First of all, again, let's go back to that being authentic, right? People know that you're struggling. Like all those things can't happen to you and you're like doing great. Like you're not going to walk around and be like, oh, Tara's doing so great. Her, you know, her daughter's in the hospital. Like She doesn't need a thing. Like, let's be serious. No, like you said, you were on the ground. You're on the lowest level. Like there was nowhere to go any lower. So it was like you had to show up authentically. You were going to ask for help. And I think that, we, um, as women especially, need to feel empowered, even if, you know, all of your things came at you at once and they were like, but even when, I think it's just everyday things, don't you, Tara? Like every day, like, hey, um, just like for me, just asking my husband, like sometimes he'll say, well, I can stop by the store on the way home and I'll think, oh, no, I don't want to ask him to do that. Like, I can do it uh, tomorrow at three o'clock in between my two appointments. Like, and I thought, I think, gosh, no, yeah, that would be great if you could do that. You know what I mean? Like I, I find catch myself doing it in little ways. Mm. 
And, you know, how great, like, and I'm just thinking, okay, picturing that scenario, saying, you know what, yeah, that would really help me. And then when that person comes home, really making that, say, you know what, I really appreciate you. Like, I really appreciate that you mm-hmm. did that for me. That did make me, that does make things easier for me. And how great yes. that makes the other person feel. You know, yes. and that's something so simple that affirms how valuable and important your spouse is in your life. Which is yes. beautiful. So, As we kind yeah, of think, kind of get to the the we're kind of not we we still have a little bit of time left, but as we're kind of getting closer to the end of the show today, Tara, talk to us a little bit. I want you to talk about um like making cancer fun. Like you have a work, don't you have a kids' workbook out now? I could, am I? Is it out or is it coming so, out? So you can tell well, us so a little bit about that. that. I have out- yeah, the book that I have right now, and, and if you go to the website, it's just makingcancerfund.com, and you can find out a lot more about it. Um, there's a, It's a parent's guide. So the book that I have currently out is for parents um, who have children who are going through cancer, but I've also had people who just have, you know, kids who have maybe some severe medical illnesses who are using it mm-hmm. because the idea is how do you make medical experiences fun for children. There's workbook pages in there so that you can tailor it for your child's specific uh, illness. I could um, have just used this. I'm going to be honest with you. I could have just used this for vaccines. Like I was one of those people yeah. who was like, oh, like I would go in, but I'm telling you, I mean, I mean, that sounds silly compared to what you went through. And I'm sure you're like, okay, girl, but it really was like, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, I really can't believe they have to get four shots today. Like I'm, I'm super nervous about it. Like, you know, I, it would have been yeah. nice to just have a little bit of help. Yeah, no, I don't think that's silly at all. I think anytime we see our kids in distress, right, it's distressing to us. And so it doesn't matter you know, the scale of it is we want our kids to have fun. And I, one of the parts of the book is I was talking about when she had, this was after cancer and she had strep throat and she had to get a strep test and she was nervous about that. We talked about, we made it silly. And I said to her, you know, well, they're looking for these little germs and they're going to put them in a Petri dish. And we described it as like a little amusement park. And we were like, they're, they think they're really, they think they're really smart and they're hiding, but we're going to put them in the Petri dish and they're going to come out and we're going to find them, and then we can kill them, you know? So, like, um, you know, we made it really silly. So that's the one that's currently out now. I also do every uh, Wednesday, we do a webinar where we bring in an expert for our community, um, and it can cover a wide variety of topics. I just had a wonderful woman talk about how to support a child going back to school after cancer. She has 30 years yeah. working with cancer families. I have a woman coming on um, in two weeks who's talking about her expertise of supporting siblings when a sibling is going through cancer. Um, so we bring in different people and those are just, you can watch a free webinar and have access to these great experts, things that I wish I had had access to. And yes. then I'm working on, which is not, I hope it was supposed to be at the end of this month. We're still working with the illustrator, um, but it's a workbook that's for children to use with their caregiver um, that will be out over the next few months on how to kind of just deal with the emotional feelings that a child yes. has about their cancer experience and open up those dialogues and those conversations. And I've had some great, I have a, a re- top researcher um, who works with survivors and understands the psychological impacts of cancer. I have a wonderful child life therapist who both of them have been instrumental in giving back uh, feedback. Um, so what's nice is we have an advisory board. You know, I have my experience clearly, but having an advisory board of experts who have been in the you know cancer field, work with children, teachers, child life specialists, and they help that our products and upcoming products and things like that. So it's nice to get all those Mm -hmm. perspectives so that the resources we're providing are really valuable. And that's my goal is to continue to provide. I'm constantly saying, you know, what's, what's not out there. 
that people need. Yes. Um, so we've kind of a list of resources that it's, you know, coming out one at a time. And this just started, it really, it was a long process to even say, okay, I want to do this. Um, the book, the initial book only just came out in March of 2019 because it was, it, it was difficult to number one, go back and relive all of that. Um, wow. And also to say, is this really, oh, I never really thought career-wise that's what I would be doing. <laughs> you know, it's not ever anything that I thought I'll be, you know, building a company to help parents cope with, with medical illnesses with fun. That was never on my <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, so, of course not. It was almost um, given to you. It was presented to you yeah. and then you just, yeah. And then it was, it's interesting I, it's so interesting, like, my daughter now, she's always asking me, because she's a couple of years out from college, and she'll say, I can't figure out what I'm going to do in life. And I go, oh, well, life will show you. Trust me. <laughs> because, like, I life will let you get away with it. Like, you don't have any idea what you want to do when you're, you know, 15, 16 years old. Get serious. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do until I was, like, over 30. And it was because life presented me with, the, it was interesting. It was op- It was the obstacles that life presented me to open the doors to see what my purpose was. So it's interesting. I love that answer for her. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. I love that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And so we're really going to, I have to close out the show now, which is unfortunate because I've had so much fun having you on, but I just wanted Aww. to say thank you for coming on all of, so you just, you mentioned like you're, you know, making cancer fun and all that stuff. And also I know on Voice of America, could they have all of your information so people can find you? And so that's awesome too. But I hope that you'll come back on again and we can um, talk about more stuff because I know that you do. I listened to your TED Talk and it was super great. People can go and mm-hmm. I know that's on your website is too. like people can listen to that. And that, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. So thank yeah, you. For sure. Yeah. Great. So we're just going to close out the show today. And I, I just want, hope that everyone listening We'll just realize today, even for a moment, that you are enough as you are, and even in the messiness and the beautiful parts and the parts that may feel broken, and just realize that nothing outside of yourself can fix your insides because you aren't broken. And I hope everybody has a great Friday. Thank you for listening to Already Enough. You can join Kelly Backard again for another edition next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we speak again, what can you let go of this week to realize you are already enough?